Hey, this is the last coffee house, and I'm doing a terrifying thing today. The cosmic skeptic on YouTube, Alex O'Connor, made a video like months ago about veganism, and he's a very bright, likable guy. <laughs> so I'm at least moderately terrified that I will have to become a vegan. So, in anticipation of watching this video, I ate all the meat in my house, and now I'm back. I'm here, I'm ready to do it. Let's go through it. There are a couple of things I want to establish from the front here because we it gets into some actually really complex arcane philosophical topics so those are always the best for easy listening but i just i'm trying to point them out so we can see how strong this case actually is for veganism number one this is what you're gonna have to understand is that there uh, something i call the philosophical zero and alex uses this philosophical zero when he's arguing against like attacking the meat eaters perspective and then uses normative assertions normative meaning in this case just something that's kind of generally appealable so it's not something that's absolute on one side or the other but it's like a gray area but more on the side of accepting versus not accepting so i'll i'll explain as we go through but he uses normative assertions when he's defending veganism so these things it's like an equation so if you have an equation it has to equal the same on both sides so if you're going to use philosophical zero arguments on one side you have to do that on the other side normative equals normative you have to do that otherwise you're just rigging the game for your purposes philosophical zero means nothing means anything so therefore i win the argument and that's that's the kind of thing that is used so i'll explain as we go along the first category that he uses is name the trait he calls it name the trait he references peter singer who apparently has a, the major work in this area and he paraphrases him i believe in saying that the boundary between human beings and other animals is completely arbitrary and almost entirely unjustified so there philosophical zero completely arbitrary boundaries between humans and other animals is completely arbitrary that's zeroing any possible argument that you can have related to that concept. It's saying that nothing means anything. <laughs> Obviously, there are excellent ways to create boundaries between human beings and other animals. So when you philosophically zero, you're saying that there's no meaning whatsoever in, in the contrary opinion. It's a method of, of argumentation. Obviously, from a normative perspective, there are many reasonable bases to determine that there are boundaries between human beings and other animals. To say that they're completely arbitrary is to philosophically zero. Okay. So Alex breaks this down as in saying that humans are superior because of X and therefore we can eat them. And he's saying that if you can insert whatever you want into X and say that that's the reason that you get to eat animals. And this is what most meat eaters do is try to figure out, okay, there's some difference, therefore we can eat them. He uses intelligence in this case. He plucks this one out because it seems like the most straightforward one to drop in. And then he explicitly says that intelligence is arbitrary. Again, it's a philosophical zero. He's saying that it doesn't have any relevance to morality whatsoever. Importantly, there is no definition of morality given here. As you go through, you try to piece together something that he means by it, but it begs the entire question. Obviously, the whole question is whether it's moral to eat animals or not, and he doesn't give us any kind of a clear, concise, or necessarily elaborate definition of morality that we can work with to determine whether he's correct or not in making the assertion. So again, he's saying intelligence is arbitrary as a means for determining whether this is correct or not, whether eating animals is correct or not, and as a trait to separate humans from animals. Now, of course, I and most people would say that there are a lot of things within the concept of intelligence that would have a lot to do with it, and that would include emotional intelligence and the ability to perceive what is happening to them and the harm that would result based on the intelligence to be able to understand the harm that is befalling them. All those things would have some kind of an impact on the normative question of how much harm is being done.
being done related to this. Again, he hasn't yet defined morality in terms of harm. He has it as some kind of extra category in his head that's just saying that this is morality, I know what it is, and I'm exerting it by fiat as we come, we move ourselves along here. So when it comes to intelligence specifically though, we're not interested in the normative assessment of it, we're just looking at what he has to say about it. So just leaving aside anything that intelligence could be, or whether that would be a valid measure of the worth of an animal or anything like that, just setting that aside, he uses this, and this is obviously the most straightforward counter-argument to any kind of a meat-eater <laughs> assertion is that if a human you know was lacking in those same traits would you be able to eat that human would you be able to kill and eat that human or factory farm them or or whatever perfectly valid turn obviously it's done for a specific purpose so he says okay if there was a human that didn't have the, that had the lowest intelligence that a human could have or whatever at such low intelligence are they of less moral value again he does not identify or define moral worth in such a way that we can actually analyze whether he's being consistent or whether this means anything. It just seems to be an empty semantic category of the thing, the moral thing that I'm asserting by fiat in this particular instance. So do we treat people of, of less intelligence with less moral worth than we treat people of high intelligence? I mean, technically we do. <laughs> Again, this is set set aside. Uh, technically, when it comes to intelligence, people get disproportionately worse jobs and end up in prison more often with lower intelligence. So technically we do, but again, setting that aside, Alex thinks not. You don't treat them of any moral different moral worth, and that could be a whole different category that just could mean something else, and that's fine. But he brings up the example of eagles have excellent eyesight, better eyesight than humans, so does that give them any higher moral worth than any human? human and he says of course not so that gives us some kind of an idea of what moral worth means i guess but again it seems like a spongy open concept for him at this point but he uses that example and says okay this trait or any other trait that you'd want to bring up is not going to be significant enough to be able to say that humans are superior therefore you can eat the thing that's not as that's inferior and here he says not until it's not intelligence alone we can know that i and this is one of the things that's frustrating is that, okay, not intelligence alone, so how many things would it require? What number of traits would be necessary? Obviously, nobody would ever think just purely in univariate terms, one single variable determined whether this is going to happen or not. And he goes on here, and this is what makes it even more confusing, because he explicitly says that moral worth is not about what's useful. So if you want to go the route of intelligence is more useful, that's not what it's about. It's, it's about... What has more moral worth? Which, of course, begs the question. Oh, my gosh. So what's moral to do is what has more moral worth, but it's not useful. This gives us somewhat of a definition. We know that it's not about being useful, which whatever he wants to define that as, in reality, of course, as he goes along, a lot of the things that he talks about sounds uh, sound a hell of a lot like useful. <laughs> but however he wants to put that into a, a special category and say it has nothing to do with being useful. It just has to do with more worth. Again, this is just an opaque category that's apparently in his estimation that he's applying to these circumstances and he says that moral worth the moral worth he's talking about can't be linked to intelligence uh, again by fiat just establishing that's the case so my question is and the thing that i would want to figure out to determine whether there's anything meaningful going on here is there any justification whatsoever for hierarchy is that something that can be at all morally justified in any way whatsoever should any human have any more than any other human should any human that's meaning like 
like in resources or in attractiveness or intelligence or lung capacity should any human morally have any more than any other human or even should any human be valued more than any other human whether that's related to in society or when it comes to just your family over non-family or anything like that is that justified is that a hierarchy that's justifiable so if there's any way to justify any kind of a hierarchy and by you'd have to figure out what terms okay so if we're really taking this to the to the next level here you know there's a reason i don't give my dog my car keys in the morning there are a lot of reasons you know he's really just gonna slobber on them and then run into a closed sliding glass door because he's an idiot that is a justifiable hierarchy to me <laughs> that i don't allow my dog the same access to my car that i otherwise have now that's based on a whole bunch of different factors uh, not having opposable thumbs or any interest in driving anywhere being amongst them but so the only question to me is what degree of the hierarchy adheres how far does it go and i think the only question alex is exactly the same is that he's perfectly fine with some kind of a hierarchical justification that humans can have nice houses and that humans can drive cars and be overrepresented on tv relative to deer or something like that but he just thinks it doesn't extend all the way to murder and i think that it, it does extend all the way to murder so he has to justify that hierarchy without getting to that point and he again because we have the philosophical zeroing that goes on he plays on one side in absolutes and on the other side in normative assessments now just want to so when you break it down it will come down to okay how do we weigh out the values and he explicitly says that this is purely philosophical i'm not he's not going into empirical assessments of what's going on but we would have to really actually weigh out the values and again we don't know what he actually means by moral here but if i were weighing it out related to okay what's the value of killing animals versus not killing animals killing certain animals actually versus not killing those animals then there are a bunch of things that you have taken into consideration some of those would be taste and pleasure related to eating the animals but not only that but we have that taste and the pleasure that we get from eating those animals because of our evolutionary history this is something that was well established for millions of years <laughs> that it's something that we did that's no justification of it but it's still part of the factors that have to be weighed uh, the increases in testosterone that increases competitive drive increases in sex drive obviously we need certain reproduction rates if we want to support the value of maintaining a population of human beings <laughs> there are other things like animals are less susceptible to the vagaries of weather than plants are or like climate change not even necessarily just man-made climate change but just changes in the climate that can happen and they're more of an immediate yield they're more of a liquid food asset than plants are generally and they're mobile so there are a lot of positive things that you can get from that but you'd have to weigh those values legitimately against the negatives you know if i'm talking about what morality means to me then okay it is about usefulness and it is about what harms are going to result from the conduct that's being engaged in so you have to weigh those things against each other so he brings up alex says that there's okay he calls it the name the trade argument so if whatever trade it is if you could imagine a human that doesn't have those traits would you kill that human again i don't know what the standard is except for just personal subjective feelings about what you should or shouldn't do but he does them like one at a time he's like intelligence or this thing or can't talk or or whatever if if a human couldn't do those that one thing or that one thing or that one thing then would you kill that human if not then i win he actually uses it as if the least intelligent human being you know of if i turn them upside down and slit their throat would you have a problem with it or would you recoil or something like that and this is again so this is the problem 
problem is that you could just keep adding characteristics or traits until no non-human animal fit within the category. You could just keep doing that. And then it would be perfectly fine. Just like if you have a neocortex behind this size, you know, the size of a neocortex, then uh, you can't kill them. Uh, you add that to a whole bunch of other things that humans have that other animals don't. And you just keep going until it excludes all the non-human animals. So when you reduce it to one trait at a time, then, then sure, maybe it works. But if you want to go by name the traits, if you want to use that argument, then obviously you could just keep naming traits until it excludes all non-human animals and say, I want to kill that. Again, that doesn't justify meat eating. That's saying that the argument, the counter argument to eating meat is invalid. He talks about how them being part of the same species, just that mere fact is not sufficient. It has no moral relevance of its own accord. Again, this is philosophical zeroing. And then he says it's not a good enough reason that, you know, these things that we talked about are not good enough reason to mistreat other living beings. And again, he has not justified by philosophy what mistreat means, why we shouldn't do it, and living beings, and whether we should worry about living beings, and whether that's a special category that should be cared about. One of the things about veganism to me, it seems, is that they've all got this kind of idea, this post-history posture idea, that we're just kind of outside of it, and it's always elite liberals who are well-fed and have always been well-fed and couldn't imagine otherwise, who talk about this sort of thing as if there aren't other parts of the world who are struggling to feed themselves and can't really think about this sort of stuff, and as if the world will always be as it is, and there will always be plenty of food at any given supermarket, and that can't change, and that just happened by magic as opposed to incredible industry that required a whole bunch of factory farming. So we know that intelligence apparently is morally arbitrary, so obviously it begs the question of what isn't morally arbitrary. Again, no standard by which to determine that, but he says that the next category, pain receptivity, is the second part. And he says this one is not morally arbitrary, again, by fiat, not sure how or why he got to that point. But this is where he introduced, I think he introduced well-being in this section, section two. And he rejects this, he says there was one thought experiment that he used, so he was saying that if animals can feel a more pronounced, like if they have better eyesight or whatever else that they can possibly have related to humans, then why couldn't they have higher pain from stimulus than humans do? It gave me a, a real Pascal's Wager vibe. <laughs> it's like, they could, so maybe you shouldn't do that. And it could be applied to abortion as well. I mean, it could be life, so maybe you shouldn't do that. And he doesn't, like, just stand on this and say, oh, I've won, the, I've won the day or anything like that. He goes on and has more argument. But still, it's kind of a, it's a weird structure. So again, he brings up well-being. Now we have some kind of a definition of what morality means to him. He says it's far more relevant, pain receptivity is far more relevant to moral worth than intelligence. So again, we're piecing together what he means. And then he talks about, okay, so if like human pain was a 10 and animal pain was a zero, then that would be fine. But if human pain is a 10 and animal pain is a seven, then obviously we just shouldn't be inflicting pain. You know, them feeling less pain than humans does doesn't mean they feel no pain. So uh, again, if it's strictly about pain, then of course we could, would it be okay to selectively breed animals who feel no pain or are not distressed by pain? Obviously there are humans who have particular conditions that make them not feel pain. There might be animals in that way, or we could just selectively breed it out of them over generations and get to a point where the animals don't feel anything. They'd still do everything that they would otherwise do, you know, and frolic and eat and all that stuff, but they just wouldn't care. They wouldn't feel any, you could uppercut a cow and it wouldn't, he would 
wouldn't care. He wouldn't matter to him. So would that be okay then? Would that be acceptable to vegans if we could actually do that? I don't know. I don't know if it would. He doesn't spend much time on on this. As far as I know, we don't have all that great of methods of determining pain when it comes to animals. You still have to demonstrate what harm is actually being caused, and you have to figure out what categories of harm are happening or could happen or should be allowed to happen or not allowed to happen or whatever. It's still really complicated. But at least in this one, you could say, okay, here's a clear standard, and we can try to figure out what we need to do based on that clear standard. So at least we have something going on here. <laughs> then he goes to category three is John Rawls. He talks about a theory of justice. Great idea, great thought experiment here where he talks about, okay, if you didn't know who you were going to be when it comes to gender or race, national origin, or anything like that, if you didn't know those things and you had to create the world and then step into it as one of those things, how would you do it? And that's how you figure out what a just society would be. So good idea. That's fine. I mean, it's really reductive, but <laughs> it's still it's still a fine, fine idea to think about. And most people, uh, again, it seems like Alex really appeals to this, okay, what's your subjective feeling of the thing that I'm placing in front of you right now, which isn't the most effective method of philosophy, I would think, or just trying to figure out what's true. It's kind of a weird thing. Obviously, we're built on an evolutionary history that gives us certain predilections and interests and non-interests and concerns and non-concerns and all that stuff. We're just built on that. So it's like a house of cards to figure out what's actually true. I don't know. It's a little weird to focus so much on that but he again he says okay well if you applied that to animals or he actually takes it farther than that and we get the most clear definition of what he means by morality or his actual falsification or showing what would falsify his position finally is that if you could come in the world as anything at all and you came into the world as a brick then as a brick you wouldn't know and you wouldn't feel any pain so therefore you could be taken and placed into a house it doesn't matter what somebody does with you and you don't have to worry about it but then he says okay but would you mind being a chicken and he's like of course you would. It's this big flourish. Of course you would. Uh, he says you would abolish the meat industry immediately. Of course, he's he's merely assessing what a chicken would think by human standards related to whatever their experience is. He doesn't know what a chicken experiences. He doesn't know what a chicken thinks about it. A chicken could be just running like a peck, flea, fight Peter Griffin dot exe. That could, that could be all that a chicken is thinking at any given time. And it has nothing to do with any kind of a, an existential dread or unhappiness or feeling pain or being disgruntled or unhappy because of pain or anything like that. So this kind of categorical assertion that, uh, of course, this is completely right and 100% unassailable doesn't strike me as any kind of convincing. So, but we do know, okay, so if something wouldn't know and wouldn't feel pain like a brick, then it would be perfectly fine to do whatever you wanted with them. So if we could establish by whatever definition he means by wouldn't know and wouldn't feel pain, that animals didn't know and didn't feel pain, then you could kill them. But by the same token, if you had a human who wouldn't know and wouldn't feel pain, somebody who suffered from that affliction that they can't feel pain and was and just couldn't otherwise understand because of intelligence or whatever else, couldn't understand what death was or harm was or pain was or existence versus non-existence. So if you could have that, then it would be fine. It would be fine to kill that human for food. So again, he establishes the moral standard, uh, again, by fiat, that if something wouldn't know and wouldn't feel pain, then you could kill it for food and or use it for in whatever way that you wanted you wanted to use it. But those would have to be very clearly defined, wouldn't know and wouldn't feel pain. We know brick as the apparent standard for that. So uh, we have category four that he brings up or argument four, whatever, is all animals are 
equal. He says we're all animals. That's fine. I mean, taxonomically, as far as I know, we're all animals. And he brings up he brings it up multiple times about racism and an analogizing to racism, which I don't think is valid at all. But he says we don't condemn racism because all races are equal. I mean, that definitely begs a political question, especially now. But he says explicitly races aren't equal. There are all sorts of different things. You heard it first from him, from Alex O'Connor, that they're not equal. Of course, if you take any two groups and group them together, they're not going to be equal and it's irrelevant to for purposes of treating individuals or what individuals should think about themselves or whatever else it's irrelevant whatever the group is averages or otherwise but he says okay the differences between races are irrelevant to life and freedom yes they have equal moral worth yes and he says the same should apply to species no thank you (laughs) I mean, obviously, we have decided as a collective, and not even the entire species has decided this, that people get legal equality. That's what they get. And that's what we call moral worth, that everybody has equal moral worth. Obviously, it gets much more complicated than that, and uh, we're not going to get into all those details. But he wants to extend that to species. And then, finally, I mean, all the way down here, this is the last section, and finally he brings up (laughs) something that might be really relevant, (laughs) is that seeing the future is a legitimate difference between non human animals and humans and so that might be a demarcation but he goes on to say that okay well we don't need this industry at all i'm guessing he's not actually an expert on what it comes to how to feed massive populations especially when there's famine in other parts of the world etc but so he's saying that we don't need this industry at all why have any of the harm if we can have none of the harm even if there was a legitimate difference between humans and animals related to that and he brings up this island scenario where if you are on an island with a pig and a person who would you kill first to eat? And he says, you don't have to kill either because that's not the situation we're in. Again, this is the kind of that post-history situation where liberals think that they we survived history and now we've escaped it and we just get to live out the rest of our lives in luxury and eat. He says, we shouldn't value animals' lives less than our taste buds. And then he brings up this weird comparison of, because he talks about how people would say that bodybuilders need meat to be strong and should we value sentient life or bodybuilding more? And I mean, that's just meaningless but of course we'd have to weigh again all of the values that come with either side and determine which one is is more valuable and this is this is what really bothers me when it comes to veganism just in general and the thing the reason it feels like it's dogmatic instead of just evidence and argument driven is how little people actually try to go and figure out i mean they'll just assert by fiat again that it's just it's wrong to kill sentient things so therefore we shouldn't be doing it and but those are just conceptual categories. We still have to figure out, okay, what is the moral standard that you're actually using to make this determination? You don't just get to assert this. Obviously, we undervalue human life. If if a person is attacking us to kill us, then we don't value their life anymore. So we get to do that kind of calculus with human life, but we're not doing any calculus whatsoever with animal life. We're just saying that it's valuable. End of discussion. What are the harms that are attendant to killing animals? Uh, what are the harms? To me, it seems like the harms are, as far as it comes to us extremely diffuse and as far as it comes to some other kind of consideration i don't even know what they would be it seems like most vegans it's 60 percent projection 30 percent identity and 10 percent concern because they saw a sad animal one time now obviously it could be more healthy i mean i'm kind of leaning more toward pescatarianism at this point just because it's it's likely to be more healthy i love sushi i love sushi so much i wish i could eat it every day (laughs) 
but I'm leaning more toward that and fine, but that's utilitarian. You know, I'm, I'm saying that I love the taste of sushi and I think that it's going to be better for my heart long term or, or something. So define the actual harms. Define what's actually going on. What is the actual cost of factory farming? What's the actual harm that's issuing out to humanity or something else that you're going to identify as being harmed by what's going on? I mean, obviously you want to say that the animal itself is harmed, but what, what does that matter? What does that have to do with anything? There has to be some kind of a rubric, some kind of a, a standard and a metric for determining, okay, how do we weigh up these values and make this determination? This is a whole, this whole human experiment is a gigantic machine. It's an organism that has been doing certain things for millions of years. And while we cut out certain things that seem bad, we don't know by what metric or by what understanding we're actually making this determination now. Like I said, if, if this was just pure mathematics, if people were just weighing up the values and saying that, look, okay, put all the values over here, all the values over here on one side is about meat eating on one side is veganism you put all those things together and it clearly is more valuable on one side than the other then i can i can accept that but anytime it's mostly moral grandstanding and mostly virtue signaling and seems to be a lot more about identity and a lot more about projection than it is about the actual things that they're talking about and especially when people get emotional about it just in general when you talk to them about it where they start throwing fits and saying oh you're evil for having done this or done that or not doing this or not doing that that's where i'm suspicious <laughs> that's where i think that there's not really an argument here that there's something else going on and a cult of personal identity where you just get to sit around and say how much better you are than everybody else is not the kind of thing that i'm gonna pay anything to be part of so i'm totally open to it totally open to it but this didn't convince me of much of anything except that we need to be more rigorous in our definitions and our standards and and not slip in and out of the kinds of arguments that we're making when we're trying to deal with something this complex and this detailed. But anyway, so that, <laughs> that's talking about the cosmic skeptic on veganism, uh, meat eater's case for veganism. I think he went vegan after this. Like I said, this was months ago because I was terrified I was going to get swapped on over and have to eat a bunch of kale for the rest of my life. But I don't think this was a very strong case at all. And I'm certainly open to hearing other other cases about it and i absolutely recommend 150% that everybody go subscribe to the cosmic skeptic he's seems like a, a quality person who's just making his arguments and putting it out there i know he has a bunch of atheism stuff historically and which i mostly agree with and he's just he's fun to listen to and one of the few philosophers out there who really put an effort in to try to make sure that they're making an argument for whatever they're putting forth but anyway so so i appreciate it thanks for listening i hope all is well okay bye Thank you.